Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Sergio Perez secured a resounding victory at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, leading a dominant 1-2 finish for Red Bull. Max Verstappen coming home second after initially leading the race from Charles Leclerc, the pole sitter. The two Red Bull teammates traded blows throughout... The race, but the gap between them grew in Perez's favour, and by the end, Verstappen to me looked well and truly like a beaten man. He's now urging Red Bull to review the pit stop decision, uh, which is what handed Perez the lead. But we'll get into that and everything else Ferrari, Aston, Mercedes, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, and more on today's podcast. Let's welcome our guests. Matt Q is uh, not travelling uh, this week, uh, but you are in Miami next week uh matt also philip clear and our our latest addition to the autosport team phil good to have you back and uh, we'll explain why you aren't traveling at the minute in just a second but first of all welcome to a special guest uh, this week it's ben from the late breaking f1 podcast welcome along ben uh, tell us a little bit about what your podcast you and the guys get up to yeah, sure thing. Uh, firstly, thank you very much for having me along. It's the three of us. I, I like to think you've got the mature of the the, the three of us, which isn't saying a great deal. Um, but you, you've at least got that on your side. But it's the uh, yeah, myself and my two best friends chatting rubbish, some more rubbish, and then some more rubbish to go on top of it. We want this year to bring in just kind of more opinions and more sure. perspectives and viewpoints on Formula One. Uh, so it's one of the things that I've wanted to do for a while on the podcast, which is just to start to bring in some just various voices, really. So it's a great where you can you can come on. Where can our listeners find late breaking F one podcast? And when do you and when do you do it? By the way, what sort of cadence have you got for your podcast? Yeah, so we record twice weekly, so you can catch us every Wednesday and every Sunday. So, at least in terms of Grand Prix, we try to try to record as much as we as we possibly can. So I try to save some of my best work for here rather than just use it on my own podcast because you know they, they get it enough. <laughs> but um, yeah, usually usually twice a week, um, wherever you can find your podcast, really. 
all the usual yes. places. All right, dear listener, when you're listening to this, you can do that in the background and hit follow or subscribe or whatever word your platform of choice uses. Normally follow with podcasts, but there we go. Uh, right, let's get into today's Red Bull dominant victory. Oh my goodness, Adrian Newey has just built a monster. Uh, Philip, first of all, I will say I'm glad you're doing okay. You're not traveling at the minute because of what I described yesterday as a medical emergency. But just reassure our listeners, you're okay, really. Yes, I am very much okay. I did need urgent surgery last week on my broken toe because he didn't heal properly after I broke it earlier this year. So I have to sit out a few races, but I'm all doing well. A little bit sore, but doing well. Hopefully back in the paddock for us for Barcelona. So look, I'm trying to read this Verstappen. He looked well and truly beaten today by Perez. And Max Verstappen, when he's got the bit between his teeth, when he is massively motivated, I'm not sure there's many drivers that can ever stop him. Certainly not Perez. A good driver, by the way. Sorry, Mexican listeners. But, you you know, there's a, there's a number one driver at Red Bull for a reason. But today he looked really beaten. Now, the excuse on the sprint was he had big damage to the side pod, and he did when Russell hit him. But today, no damage, couldn't make inroads on Perez. How did you read that that Red Bull battle today? Um, I think it was you know interesting. It was partly a factor of I think the sprint format where you only have one free practice session and then qualifying in car goes into Park Ferme, so you're basically stuck with whatever setup you've got without doing lots of long runs per se. So I think probably just he didn't quite get the balance the way he liked it. He was uh, complaining on the radio quite a bit about the balance and just struggling. And he gave it a good go at the end of the race, but I think by then Perez had it all under control. I think probably that might be an explanation for why Max wasn't quite there this afternoon. But, you know, and take nothing away from Perez. It was just perfect, perfect performance, completely in control from the start to the finish. Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, Sergio Perez winning on a street circuit like Baku is not unheard of. He's won at Baku before first two-time winner there and Singapore, Saudi Arabia, Monaco. So we're, we're used to seeing Perez win at these types of circuit, but I think probably what was most unusual about this one in particular was that usually something has to go pretty horribly wrong for Verstappen in order for him to be in that position, which is to an extent what Red Bull are looking for from Perez's second driver seat. I know it's something they, they searched a long time for, went through drivers before Perez in order to get there. But certainly here, whilst it didn't go perfectly for Verstappen in terms of the safety car, there wasn't anything that went horribly wrong. As you say, in the sprint, there was the excuse of the damage. Here, there was there was a safety car that dropped him two spots, but it, it's not the, the catastrophic incident that usually leads to Perez having to pick mm. up the mantle. And as has already been mentioned, it seemed as if Perez was in control. I know there was a little bit of a question mark early on when Perez was leading, would would Verstappen bide his time? But ultimately, it was ominous. Ominous to the extent that we usually see that from Verstappen. You could almost be, you could almost switch the names around and you wouldn't be surprised with how that performance went if it was Verstappen taking the win. I kind of had Verstappen nailed on for the championship this year, but has Perez woken up some sort of dormant title fight or is this an anomaly? Uh, the optist, optimist in me says, I hope so. I hope this is the beginning of a, of a mega fight because, frankly, we need a Rosberg-Hamilton-Spec battle to keep, to keep things particularly interesting at the moment. However, uh, and for 
viewers of the Autosport YouTube video that's accompanied this race, I apologise, I'm about to make a similar point. But if you wind back uh, exactly a year ago, we're in a similar situation, weren't we? Or, or call it 364 days where Perez had beaten Verstappen in qualifying and as Verstappen was struggling with a bit more understeer in the uh, RB18, which is a bit overweight then, everyone's going, this is it. Perez is managing the car better. We've got someone that, you know, not only is it Leclerc, but Perez is really sort of um, ramping up the pressure internally. Uh, and obviously we know what happened after there, Verstappen won on that incredible run of dominance where and as, as Perez started turning in sort of bang average drive. So that could well be waiting for us, you know, um, a, a run of Verstappen-like momentum. However, it was a really convincing display from Perez and he was speaking to Sky after the race and said, you know, I only sacrifice two thirds of my year, leave my family behind and do this job because I believe I can be world champion and fulfill that, you know, childhood dream. So obviously he would say that. And uh, I've I've read quotes, you know, of, of all kinds of sort of midfield drivers saying I still believe that if circumstances fall my way I can be champion so it's obviously a motivation for everyone and and who can blame them but you have to you have to sort of believe that he thinks it's true um but the the problem is is that we know who is the fastest driver nine times out of ten at Red Bull we know who that team is built around who who you know, can get away with team orders, transgressions, whereas whereas Perez, it's much easier to see his contract being ripped up, whatever. So over the course of a season, there's a lot of things to point to the team or the natural sort of setup favouring Verstappen. But today was about as convincing as, as uh, Perez performance gets. Um, Autosport magazine ran the headline, I think, sort of Perez's best drive or something after Jeddah. And we, we had to, we had a bit of back and forth on that because like, can we say it's his best ever drive when he like fluffed the, fluffed the launch and then had to get back past Alonso where, whereas there wasn't any of that really this time. Um, okay, the safety car, pit stop hijinks sort of worked out in his favour. And I suppose if you're picking the smallest of nits, his dive on Leclerc into turn one wasn't done quite as early as Verstappen's um, but otherwise it was a proper proper performance so optist, optimist in me says yes game on title fight for the ages maybe perhaps yeah I think two big I think talking points from today firstly it is that safety car period and secondly it's people in the pit lane when the race is still going so we'll get onto that in the, in a minute uh, but let's talk about that safety car period then Nick DeVries had a stinker only that's only one word to describe this weekend he had a stinker of a race and a stinker of a weekend Nick DeVries needs to reset on that 14 hour flight uh, to Miami right now he caused so uh, he didn't you know wasn't a massive shunt into the barrier there were no bits hanging off the car but when that happened Max Verstappen leading Sergio Perez first Red Bull driver gets the choice Uh, he gets called in and does his pit stop under racing conditions then full safety car Perez takes his pit stop under safety car conditions leaps for Verstappen and gets the win did they call it right I think Sky said they had like six seconds to make the decision when they they did the replay or something which is almost impossible uh, strategy take any of the blame on this one Ben or is it just sort of rubber the green it's it's a really tough one because there was there was no guarantee that safety car was going to be called on this and and at the time there was no there was no certainty as to whether it would be VSC whether it would be able to be cleared if DeVries got going and I think you've got to make that snap decision at the time and I, I can't really blame them for doing so because I mean we it's easy to 
after the fact sort of question the decision what had happened if he had gone round for one more lap VSC had mm. been called all of the other drivers in behind had taken 11 seconds on their stop and Verstappen loses out considerably that way and ultimately I, I know he lost out to his teammate but but losing two spots isn't the end of the world so um yeah, it was a split-second decision. I can completely understand why they played it the way they did. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I, I know throughout the weekend they were, um, in terms of the stewards, in terms of throwing yellow flags, like they, they tended to do it as late as they possibly could. So maybe we should have seen that coming, that they weren't going to call the, the safety car until the last possible moment that cars were starting to get round to the end of Sector 1. But I I can't blame them too much for this. When I saw De Vries uh, standing still, I thought he just outbraked himself and he would just put it in reverse and go on his merry way. And apparently they thought the same thing at Red Bull. Christian Horner said after the race that, you know, we didn't know that De Vries' car was damaged. You know, we had this year replay to see he clipped the inside wall and then bent his tolling. So they also thought that, you know, he was just going to clear off again in a matter of seconds. But, you know, having said that, if you're in the lead, if you have such an advantage on, on Ferrari, do you need to take that risk pitting when there's a stationary car on track? It's, you know, ex- as Ben said, it's very easy to judge in hindsight. But, you know, it, I think, yeah, it is one of those things. They will look at it, but I don't think, you know, there's a there's a whole lot you can do in, in six seconds. Do you, think they, do you think they did that pit stop to call off what was the impending battle between those two drivers to put them on a different strategy? Well, if it was, they will never admit to it. <laughs> but yeah, I did think the same thing. Like now, we're going to see it. You know, see them race wheel to wheel finally. But yeah, it's a shame that we didn't see that. Yeah, it's a pity. I'll run down the top ten order. I'm aware that I've not done that yet. Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, who is uh, first time on the podium this year, and actually the first time getting a decent weekend. And it wasn't until I thought about what he his non finishes he's had, I was like, oh yeah, he's had a terrible start to the year. Uh, Fernando Alonso, less than a second behind, but sadly that podium run comes to an end. And then Carlos Sainz in the second Ferrari, who was largely absent this weekend. Uh, Lewis Hamilton in the first of the Mercedes followed home by Lance Stroll and the second Aston Martin then George Russell and Lando Norris I think a good weekend for Lando Norris and McLaren who have probably bought two or three tenths to that car with their upgrades and the final points actually a good weekend for Yuki Tsunoda in the final point scoring position uh, let's talk a little bit about Ferrari um, should we Charles Leclerc started on pole he started well two poles because it was the new sprint format weekend Matt that Ferrari isn't a slow car in a qualifying session but in race trim our listeners might be wondering why was it 20 plus seconds off the lead even with a safety car which compresses the field so that that kind of flattered it a little bit what what is the reason for ferrari to be so far off the pace in race trim but not qualifying uh the short answer is is tires martin so um you know to to Give Ferrari credit where it's due. When um, when they were saying it's, uh, after the first couple of races, it's just setup tweaks we need to make. There's you know we don't need a, a B spec car. Well, 
they perhaps they do to properly take to the fight to Red Bull, but there's obviously still a lot left in this SF23 package with the string of upgrades they're going to bring in. They obviously fiddle with the settings in Australia. Leclerc crashing on lap one means we didn't get a proper sort of profile of, of how the car had improved, but it's clear they've taken a marked step forward and, and looking at the data traces uh, um, and particularly with what Leclerc could do through the, the middle sector, that castle section, they obviously have found a lot, a lot, of, a lot of speed. But it, it's the tyre drop-off. So, you know, in, in a sprint race, we had Leclerc coming away and saying, I didn't, uh, I didn't see the need to hold up Perez the protracted protracted defence it was it was sort of a, a futile task and and it comes back to the rear tyre so I was, I was looking at the data from the sprint race and uh, from sort of lap uh, 12 to 17 Leclerc has something like a 1.5 second drop off in lap time whereas Perez is absolutely consistent and you look at the GPS data and that comes because Leclerc goes from dominating sort of the the, the medium acceleration zone sort of uh, uh, you know some sort of from sort of 50 to 100 miles an hour let's say and then he starts to fall behind because the rear tyres are getting too hot and, and degrading and that's that's just what we saw happen in the race again today and it suggests that although Ferrari have made setups to help the car this is sort of a, a, a fundamental issue with, with, the, with the 2023 machine because with Bahrain which obviously you know to use that spinal tap phrase turned everything up to 11 because that really abrasive asphalt it's a bit um, bit exceptional uh, we saw Red Bull and Aston were mega because they could handle their tyres and, and Ferrari were were nowhere as a result. And we've just seen that play out in, in a different set of circumstances today. So, you know, obviously it's great to get the, the pole outs and make things interesting, but particularly at Baku where you've got such a long run out of the final quarter and, and the Red Bull potency in a straight line and the DRS, I think we all knew, you know, we'd be kidding ourselves if we said we didn't think he would have become under sustained pressure. The fact it was all done and dusted with both Red Bulls by lap six was a bit underwhelming and, and shows that, yeah, the 21 seconds, which, and we can come on to Alonso's comments, but arguably favourable um, uh, circumstances for Ferrari. So it could have been a bigger gap, still a huge amount for the red cars to do. I'm feeling a little bit conned by all the Ferrari promises. Last year, we were told, well, Ferrari had a good car in 22, but they, they kind of fluffed it with strategy and things like that. But their, you know, fundamentals were good. Come 2023, Ferrari weren't meant to be taking the fight to Red Bull. I mean, thank goodness for Aston Martin this year. They're really not. Like, how, how are you feeling about Ferrari's performance today and the season so far? I'm um, sorry, that's on you for having faith in them. Uh, that's it's all on you. Um, it's it's tough to see because you know they started last year with such promise, and we've got to this point in the season where nothing has gone absolutely right for Ferrari in 2023, and they haven't even had their strategy blunders come into factor yet. I mean, you just I, wait. We do one. We've got loads of time yet. Like 19 races left. It's fine. <laughs> Five sprints to go. Yeah, coming into this this race weekend, it felt as if they had a different reason every single time for them not performing very well. So, you know, Bahrain was reliability. Charles Leclerc obviously looking on course for a podium there. Reliability was the cause for their downfall in, there. Then you move on to Saudi Arabia. That was just pure pace. They just seemed to be nowhere. And then we had Australia, which was driver-driven, where both were involved in incidents that ultimately caused them to score no points. So you've got three race weekends, three different reasons for performing pretty poorly. Now, I think the good news for Charles Leclerc is that if you were to say to him, OK, one of your four race weekends is going to go OK, 
in this 2023 season, he'd be like, okay, I'll take the one which has the sprint race points on offer. So at least he's been able to cut the gap to Carlos Sainz in that respect. Mm. But um, yeah, they're, they're just not there. And no no one else is either. Um, you know, Red Bull are just so far clear in race trim. Qualifying wise, it just, it reminds me a lot of early noughties Williams. Like it feels very... One Pablo Montoya Williams era where <laughs> he'll get a pole position and you absolutely know Schumacher's getting him in five laps. It, that's what it felt like today. I know we had the, the prelude in the sprint yesterday that we kind of knew what was going to happen anyway, but there was just an air of inevitability about this isn't going to last. The question is, how long does it last? And ultimately, I think it was lap six that he was down in third place. And then, you know, he got the he got the joy of having it done to him again thanks to the safety car. But... Um, yeah, it's they're just not there. We are going to get into the race format uh, in a minute, actually, because uh, we'll talk about whether it was you know good, bad, or ugly. I was a little more critical earlier in the week. I'm kind of okay with this new sprint format now. I, I, I think the sprint has nearly always delivered in previous seasons on on action. I just think this weekend, mm, I'm not so sure. We'll get into that, and uh, more importantly how were people in the pit lane when there were still pit stops to be done those stories and we'll run through the rest of the field in a second back in a mo stay there all right let's get into the other big the other really big talking point and that came right at the very end of the uh, the action today um philip sometimes phil we do send you to uh to go stand in the paddock but that never involves standing in the way of formula one cars we saw at the end ocon hadn't taken his mandatory at least one pit stop so we know he was coming in and and yet somehow the FIA opened the gates pit lane full of photographers who of course uh looking up at the podium to get their their shot their angles or that kind of stuff they're not going to be looking behind them at a car coming towards them on the, sp- the the pit lane speed limiter what on earth did you make of what we saw today when the pit lane was full of people and the race is going on yeah, well, first of all, I'm grateful that you're not literally sending me into the firing line every yeah, race. We wouldn't do great. that. You'd break more than a toe, and exactly. people almost did. To that. that was very, very <laughs> close. The onboard made it look pretty dramatic. It is a normal procedure to prepare sort of the top three park Fermé area with barriers, and then photographers will be there queuing, wanting to have that best position to get their snap. After that, the team members will be piling in. So you need some time to prepare that area, but... There was a bit of a perfect storm with drivers you know, pitting at the very last lap, which is not very common. Timing-wise, they went a bit wrong there, so they will have to look at the margins in terms of you know, who's on track. When are we giving the signal for the staff to start preparing that area? Because it was just a little bit too early this time. And you can see from you know many laps before that, you knew Ocon and Hülkenberg were going to pit very late because they would. You know, hoping for a red flag so you knew this was going to happen really when i saw the news afterwards that the fia were going to investigate themselves this is a bit like this is a bit like asking my five-year-old son if he wants ice cream like i know the answer and the answer is going to be the fia saying well we did nothing wrong it's like tractors on uh, the track at suzuka what you want to what you want to hear what i want to hear from the fia when stuff like this happens and look we love motor racing we don't want to see fans, marshals, working people ever in danger. What you want to hear is this was wrong. Today was far too close. We're going to we we will issue a report Tuesday, Wednesday. Let the heat die down. It's fine. I'm not asking for heads to roll. But instead you get this kind of well, you know, it's okay. Everything's fine. Matt, what's happened afterwards? Have we got any results of this inquiry into themselves? 
a tiny bit of credit where it's due is that the language the FIA have issued with their decision has been strong. They acknowledge they were fortunate there was no serious accident and some very serious injuries. I think you know something along those lines of uh, of wording. So they, they they admit the nature could have been pretty pretty horrifying if if it had played out in in slightly different circumstances. Uh, but. You know, they've they've also, you know, uh, tried to draw a, a clarification between the stewards and the FIA to see that there is some like independent governance and it's not just like basically going, here, do your self-assessment form. Didn't you do a bad, you know, we're going to fine you five grand so you can pay for your own Christmas party. None, none of that sort of thing. But the frustration, and they have as well said there'll be immediate changes in time for uh, uh, the next race in, in Miami. So change the protocol. The problem with that is that you know, um, the FIA already this season have had a few incidences of having to look to precedent, whether it was with overturning the Alonso penalty in Saudi Arabia or not doing that with the science penalties. Uh, we had a very similar near miss with uh, Alex Albon in Australia 2022, and I've been to check the, the list of FIA documents. There was no investigation, no decision, no ruling, no change of the rules in response to that. So there's your warning and you've done nothing about it. My problem is, and I'm going to go on a slight rant here and conflate several different things but if we remember back to the FIA prize giving you get MBS or FIA president Mohammed bin Suleiman going up on stage and going ah well you're all wrong you've misinterpreted the rules about how the points are awarded to Max Verstappen in in uh, in in Japan to decide the title this is nonsense this is on you well, now we've got it the other way around where that was sort of aimed at Sky, the biggest broadcaster, and they were, they were fluffing up their interpretation of points on that day, which loads of us were. Well, credit where it's due, Sky were all over this. They, they saw that this was going to unfold. They were way, way ahead of the curve. So if, if, the, if the broadcaster has seen it coming, Sky should as well. It's like the Alonso penalty as well, where... Um, you mean the FIA? So Sky saw it, but the FIA should have seen yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They should have seen what, what was coming. And, and it's like the Alonso penalty as well in Saudi Arabia, where um, the team representative has a thorough understanding of the rule book, so can overturn the incorrectly applied penalty. Well, it's fair to think that the rule maker should have a fair understanding of the rules as well, which they haven't in this case. And I know the FAA will point to what as someone, you know, um, um, in charge of the gate or whatever has, has, has slipped up and allowed this through, but there should have been clearer instruction. And, and when you have MBS who, you know, is not the entirety of the FIA, but he is a public facing figure. When you have him instead going, right, well, we need to make sure the thermal underwear and the nose studs are in order. And then they get something that could have had dire consequences as this. When they get that so wrong, it's such a bad look. And the FIA don't need any help in making themselves look bad at the moment. You know, it's, you have to feel sorry for the people that are working behind the scenes. It's one case after another of, of, of incorrect penalties of Abu Dhabi or whatever of three red flags and, and, and how it's handled but it's just it's really really inexcusable and like so it's again to conflate other things but you get like the cost cap right and and the fine is with Red Bull is about so that the FIA can restaff and better resource itself and whatever and so we've had that and we've had the growth and this is one of the M- things that MBS has said is that you know uh, the FIA is underfunded we need to we need to bring in more uh, uh, so we can improve our governance and then something as fundamental and basic as this so the memo hasn't got through or we're trying to rush protocol yeah it's a it's a big deceleration into the pit zone I you know and but I believe Ocon has has time to react and even with the pit lane speed 80 kilometers an hour slowing down whatever but it could have been just really really 
gross. So, you know, if he had gone through that barrier, it would look like in testing when they're carrying around one of those aerodynamic measuring devices sort of hanging off the side of the car. It, you know, it was just it was just really unpleasant. And and when you get the broadcaster coming away calling it a shambles, and which they are absolutely right to, no one comes away from it looking looking good. But it's all all again sort of aimed at the FIA. Sorry, going getting a bit a bit muddled but it was just it was just so it was so dumb I think it comes back to the basic understanding of if the broadcasters and us as the audience can see what's coming because of how the rules are interpreted and applied then the rule makers should have that same understanding of how the rules are interpreted and applied and you can bet that the person who in charge of the gate has a walkie talkie on them a mobile phone or you know there's a slew of people hanging around in, in the blue trousers with the FIA embroidered shirt there are people around it only takes a bit of communication to go okay maybe we have been a bit fortunate in other races where we've you know we've 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 opened the barriers 90 seconds early it's fine but it was so easy to see what's coming Alpine when they're even not uh, fighting for a point they're not going to get themselves disqualified you knew he was Ocon was going to pit and there should have been better communication over that it was really really shocking yeah, I can't. I don't know whether it was on Ted's notebook on Sky or as part of the coverage. Or uh, he, he said at some point that there's two gates that open onto the pit lane. Uh, one of them was was all the photographers, and they were allowed on. He was behind the other one, where all the team guests and team VIPs and things that are allowed on to go and you know get those shots of everyone cheering uh, underneath the podium. And he said that he told that security guard, "Don't open this door. There's more pit stops to happen." So you've got the pit lane reporter for a satellite broadcaster telling the security guard, no, don't open this gate. That's not the way it should be. Uh, Shambolic is the right word for it. There should just be no room for this to happen. And as weird as this is going to sound, I I think Esteban Ocon needing to make his mandatory pit stop is actually irrelevant in this because if Ocon didn't have to make that mandatory stop, that wouldn't have made this acceptable. This this was unacceptable. And it's probably something that happens 99% of the time. But of course, like here and Alex Alban in Australia last year, it's highlighted because of that last stop um, on the last lap. Realistically, I, I assuming that their logic is as soon as Sergio Perez starts lap 51 at that point it's go 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 in terms of setting things up but that's completely missing the fact that everyone else is still on lap 50 uh, let's just, uh, hypothetically speaking here we saw um Zhou Guan Yu retire not too far from the end what if that had happened on lap 50 he'd he'd be coming down the pit lane in the same way that Esteban Ocon would have been right and there's no reason why you know in terms of going to retire the car there's no reason why that wouldn't happen on that last lap or the penultimate lap compared to 20 laps beforehand it's just as likely to to happen so you know Esteban Ocon wasn't even in, wasn't even the last car it he was P9 at the time which means you've still got half the grid behind him that could also go down the pit lane it just feels to me that as soon as as soon as every single car is onto the last lap of the race at, at that point they can be sid- considered not live or not active in mm. terms of the pit lane but if you're if you've got anyone who is who is on the penultimate lap of their race if they're not on the lead lap they are still an active live car that could go down the pit lane at any moment it is their prerogative their decision and it's ridiculous i, I agree with your words matt in terms of like the 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 language from the FIA was very direct which i appreciated on it the one thing i did pick up from that statement that i didn't think that kind of raised my eye was how they um 
they specifically look at photographers in the fast lane as the as the reason for this investigation at least from my perspective and i'm not quite sure exactly what they're defining as fast lane but if if you've got the the photographers just to the right hand side really the the russell line into the pits if we call it is that <laughs> any more acceptable if they're there i i just think for the sake of a couple of minutes of and not wasting time, but just a couple minutes in terms of losing that preparation, I think that's worth it for the sake of being 100% sure that that an incident like this is, unav- is unavoidable. I agree. For the sake of the photographers saying, well, it's inconvenient. Yeah, but we are a motor race. And so what comes first? The motor race comes first. And anyone can have a technical prop. A wheel could fall off. You know, and they go, oh, I've got, a, I've got a box immediately. And then you've got a three-wheeled car coming down a pit lane and a bunch of photographers getting their little, uh, you know, their little stool out and, you know, getting their good spot. So I appreciate it makes their life easier, but, oh, man, it was horrible. So let's get back to talking about uh, some of the action, some of the teams, some of the sort of highlights, the winners and losers uh, from today. Aston Martin. Phil, let me ask you about Fernando Alonso. 0.8 seconds behind Leclerc. Narrowly missed out on that consecutive podium run continuing. He said that Ferrari were lucky. Ferrari would say they were managing the pace and, you know, when Leclerc needed to, he could turn it on and and, and keep the, the gap. Aston Martin had some real DRS issues earlier this week. So for what could have been a terrible uh, weekend, actually fourth and uh, seventh seems like a pretty good takeaway. I think so, yeah. I thought they had a, a pretty good result today, given the weekend they've had. Clearly, the car's not quite as quick as it has been in the first couple of races, but then, you know, for them not to have the best weekend and still finish on Leclerc's gearbox, in Amos's case, that's that's not bad, is it? Uh, so, yeah, that DRS issue uh, was a bit of a strange one. It seemed like it was caused by some vibrations that are just jamming the defiance shut, uh, but the, somehow they managed to uh, fix it in a race, so they didn't have an issue today. Yeah, I thought you know, it was pretty, pretty solid result to be honest. Bit of a messy one for Lance Stroll, wasn't it? At times, yeah, it was a little bit messy. It's it's a street circuit, so there's a couple of restarts where you know him and Russell had a bit of a tussle. I thought it was pretty fun. I really thought it was quite endearing to see Fernando play some sort of like fatherly role in <laughs> shepherding Stroll through the race with rake balance advice and what have you. That's uh, <laughs> not the Alonso I know, but there you go. It's harmonious at the minute yeah. at Aston Martin. And whilst Alonso is beating his teammate and, you know, on the podium, it will continue to be harmonious. Um, it's when it's not, which is when it's fun to watch the Alonso machine go to work. But uh, but there we go. Well, he knows yeah, that- who's trying to being full of, so. Yeah, that's... Um- uh, that battle with you know Mercedes and uh, you know to be the, the the head of the head of the rest really I was going to say head of the midfield pack but Aston are you know far away uh, from uh, being ahead of the midfield pack uh, Mercedes of course have made some management changes and done the switcheroo but that's not going to impact really the next race you know result but they're going to keep on bringing parts to this car and not not throw everything out what do you think of Mercedes today? Uh, yeah, like you say, the, the technical restructure is going to take. You know, let, let's be honest. There's maybe a couple of decent, decent upgrades, but it's all about the 2025 car. Especially if Hamilton is, you know, complaining about where he sat in the car. That means a fundamental redesign of of the chassis, and that means a new new crash test. So it's all all about next season in terms of the Elliott and Allison swap around. Today, today was a bit. You know, it was disappointing after after the you know more competitive showing in Australia. 
I suppose, but with with Mercedes, this this formats tweak was almost designed to hurt them because we've seen even through Australia where they they suddenly got a lot quicker for for qualifying in a race. It's just. They just have this really slow crescendo throughout the weekend, don't they? They're pretty, pretty off it in FP1 and then some setup extremes in FP2 and then finally in their happy place for FP3. That's exactly how Australia played out. And and the sprint format on it on its own doesn't help that because obviously you've got that pointless FP2 session by which time the car's already in park Fermi. But then when you're just going straight in like this, it's, it, it doesn't really work out at all. So obviously Russell was a bit more competitive in, in the sprint, but yeah, just, just an, just an off weekend, but they, they were, they weren't very competitive here last year, I suppose. So it's, it's not a track that suits them particularly well, at least, at least none of the, at least none of the catastrophic bouncing. I mean, again, it was this time last year where Hamilton was, you know, climbing out, really nursing his back, looking like a, looking like a very beaten and battered, frail, frail driver, which, uh, so, so by that, by that measure, it's, they've come on leaps and bounds, but yeah, just a bit, bit of an underwhelming effort. But um, as, as you sort of alluded to, Martin, what a, what a shame if Red Bull exists, because otherwise that, that toing and throwing between Ferrari, Mercedes and Aston would be, would be quality. Absolutely, that and that battle that could see McLaren perhaps joining it at times. They've bought some upgrades here that maybe bought two or three tenths. Possibly Lando Norris spent most of the race behind Nico Hulkenberg, um, eventually getting uh, him to move up into the points. Finishing ninth in the end, he got a good run on Hulkenberg to get past him. Oscar Piastri had runs of a different kind this weekend. Uh, oh, I'm not sure I can get away with that. Leave not it sure in. I can get away with that. Leave it in. I went for it. I really went for it. Uh, <laughs> Oscar Piastri has had, I think, a slice of toast all weekend. And that is it. Poor guy. But he uh, he it, it just missed out on the points. He came home 11th. But that, you know, McLaren, oh man, I, I don't know what to make of, of that. It's just, I, I, after a couple of races, I was saying, well, we've not seen a, a true race yet with McLaren. And then I still feel after four events, I still don't know what to make of, of McLaren. Have they got some promise in that car? Uh, it's, it's a little underwhelming i have to say because they feel were underwhelmed. About, that's the yeah, best word they were talking about this upgrade for a long time you know this was supposed to be a less draggy package that they should have started the season with but then that implies that you're by default four races behind on everyone else so maybe that's why they didn't make a step forward but it wasn't a massive leap by any stretch but it is you know every time you introduce such a big upgrade package it takes a while to get everything out of it and especially with this sprint format you know this was not the ideal format to introduce race uh, to introduce parts at so i guess the jury is still out on them but i yeah I, I was expecting a little bit more especially looking at norris be, being stuck behind hockenberg for such a long time until hockenberg's tires like literally fell off the car almost because they're that old yeah is you know they're still they're still lacking that straight line speed so clearly yeah, you know, there has to be some sort of drag penalty still. So, yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to get there this season. It seems uh, a bit of a stretch, but we'll see what they can do in the next couple of races. But that whole train of cars at that point, and it, it was a it was a bit of a slog, the middle of the Grand Prix. It, it wasn't one for the ages. It was a little bit dull at times. Like, I like this race because you, it's a street circuit. There's always overtaking, even if it's a little artificial with that 2.2-kilometer straight. And, and they took 100 meters off the DRS and maybe split the difference and put 50 back on next year. But 
I kind of felt underwhelmed by the whole event today. Um, Ben, how did you... It's like, because that train of cars that really are faster than the ones they're following, they, like... Norris just couldn't get past for so for so long. I mean, Yuki Tsunoda got up to tenth, so there's some feel good stories about today. That's a re- that point for Yuki is a really feel good story for Alpha Tari, especially with Nick DeVries having a terrible weekend. But how you sort of how you feeling, Ben, up about the the Grand Prix in general today? Yeah, I think that's probably why my my answer to the the McLaren question is I don't really know because I, I think their pace as well as a couple of other teams was was masked by how difficult overtaking was in these DRS trains. I were McLaren and Lando Norris in particular quicker than what they were able to show? Quite possibly. Same goes for same goes for Lewis Hamilton. I would have been really interested to see Hamilton's pace versus Leclerc and Alonso. I, I don't know if he'd have been up there or not if he was able to clear Carlos Sainz, but because overtaking was so difficult to come by, I, I think really that the safety car was what destroyed today's race because ultimately we got into a position where it was a tyre stalemate everyone was on the same compound that was incredibly durable and the fact that Esteban Ocon for example was on them from the start didn't seem to matter whatsoever in terms of others being able to get by everyone on that hard tyre you know strategy is a lot of fun strategy generally causes (laughs) um, races to become far greater than what they were today and ultimately when you bring three compounds to a track the first of which being the soft tyre that would have been good for about three laps the medium tyre that was good for barely the sprint race which was a third of the Grand Prix and then you've got this hard tyre that can go the full distance if you're if you're an Alpine so if you've got one tyre that's so favourably better than the other two and everyone defaults to that thanks to an early race safety car it's it's difficult for it it just decreases variables it just removes one of the variables that can create an interesting Grand Prix and from that point onwards if seem to be difficult to follow everyone on the same tires it's it's hard to expect there to be much more entertainment than what we actually got that's actually a really good point i hadn't thought about that because of the safety car everyone everyone's strategy was 11 laps on the medium everyone goes to the hards like there was no contra strategy i hadn't yeah now that you say that like i knew that i hadn't put two and two together apart from russell getting the fastest lap point and putting a set of softs on uh, at the end that was the way everybody did their race apart from like you say the ocons of let's do 50 laps with the tires we started on right when we come back we will talk about the weekend formats and what we might change about it stick around Okay, just to finish off the bottom of the the order, Oscar Piastri I mentioned in 11th. Alex Albon at times having a really good season and not in the points today in 12th, but um, I think... Uh, on a different day, could have scraped in, actually. Alex Albon in the Williams, 12th. Kevin Magnussen, 13th. Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, 14th and 15th. Really, really bad weekend for Alpine. They will for- want to forget this. Move on to Miami. Uh, just issue after issue and not great. Logan Sargent, uh, again, wants to forget that he set out a whole race uh, in 16th. Nico Hulkenberg in the house in 17th. And Valtteri Bottas, who got hit twice. Uh, double bubble for him. Well done, Valtteri, on the first uh, first uh, stint, um, first lap, even maybe, and uh, down in 18th, non-finisher. Um, Joe with some temperature issues towards the end, and Nick DeVries who binned it. Let's talk about this weekend's format. I was less than complimentary when they announced it midweek. Um, I don't like the idea of qualifying on a Friday, uh, and I probably just sound like a you know, stuck in the mud of, oh, I like things the way they've always been. But it it just seems odd. And then 
Right, so that's it. Qualifying's on a Friday. And then, right, forget about that, because Saturday's standalone. And then sort of Sunday rolls around. You're like, hang on, when did we qualify? It seems a long time ago. But maybe it's my goldfish attention span. Um, Matt, what did you make of the format? And if you would change anything, what would it be? Yeah, it was it was decent. Um, I'm probably saying this from a slightly biased point of view, because I don't want uh, to lose every single weekend of, of the year to Formula One. But um, I, I don't want it to become 23 sprint races i think you know you have a smaller pool it was it was good um i think you need to wait for a slightly larger sample size because let's be honest the reason we're doing sprint races and the reason we've got this qualifying session and the reason we'll have six to ten events after three in the first couple of years is is tv audiences so in order to um optimize the current setup you need to work out numbers and that is primarily does the saturday or friday qualifying session draw in more numbers and i think then you swap the uh, this, you swap the role of those two sessions accordingly. So whether Friday night becomes sprint qualifying and uh, Saturday morning becomes Grand Prix qualifying. And then, like you say, it doesn't really solve your problem, Martin, because then you have the Friday qualifying, which you could forget about until Sunday, or then you get f- Saturday morning Grand Prix qualifying, which is then immediately irrelevant to the, the session that follows directly after. So those things need to be ironed out. The immediate changes need to be, cannot have Lando Norris or any driver potentially risking a wet qualifying lap just to beat someone else. And you can't have it where drivers are are unable to run because they don't have a fresh set of the appropriate tyres. So those things need to be excluded. The flippant answer to your question, though, is what needs to change is the cars, right? The the car design. So we've had a year of convergence where, you know, people worry these rules are too prescriptive. Well, obviously not because we've now got dirty air. We've got DRS trains back where you can't overtake. And we've had an embarrassment of riches when it comes to sprint race weekends. And largely the sprint race has defined or certainly enhanced the following Grand Prix. So whether that be the narrative of Verstappen versus Hamilton side by side into Cops at Silverstone, whether it be the Leclerc uh, tyre management woes in Imola that obviously led to his late spin or or the brilliant race in Austria where Ferrari learned that they had no idea what they were doing with their rear tyres, fixed it overnight and then you had Leclerc overtaking Verstappen three times for victory. Brilliant, brilliant race. It's had a, a beautiful build-up where, whereas this year, because Red Bull have been allowed or they've designed a car that's so dominant has such a big DRS benefit a a, a circuit that can be quite entertaining quite spiky it's sort of instead of it being you know more is more in in that sense of everything's better because there's more of it you've just it's just sort of exposed a slightly a slightly dull year perhaps so I think I think the the the, the slightly yeah cheeky answer to your question is Martin is to make the sprint format perfect is you need to have better cars yeah, that's not quite as simple as ratifying <laughs> some rules midweek before a Grand Prix, which is my issue. It was like, why do it on a Tuesday or Wednesday before people turn up at the weekend? Also, people buy month tickets there to a Grand Prix months in advance, and you might only want to go on a Saturday, buy a Saturday Sunday ticket because you like watching qualifying and you like what, and you're not so bothered about free practice and you save a bit of money and all of a sudden, oh, hang on a minute, now you not get to see that. So I think it, it disrespects the fans, but there we go. Um, Phil, what do you think about this sprint race format? Do you think they should stick with it or change it? It is getting a bit confusing at times because we've just been used to this rhythm of of you know practice qualifying racing i appreciate we follow it very closely but a lot of people just have to work on a friday afternoon they can't necessarily watch uh qualifying i don't know we have to give it a bit more time i think but as matt said there's definitely some changes that need to be made to this format like the tire rules and there's a bit of a 
chicken and egg situation because F1 is all about sustainability. They want to bring fewer tires to the race in the future, but you're also going to add more competitive sessions. So, you know, where's the balance there, right? In this case, their hands were tied a bit because the tires for Baku had been shipped long before, so they had to make do with what they had now. But if you want to make it a proper sport, then you need to bring more tires. And you need to, uh, you know, let people get a free choice of what tires they run in qualifying and in sprint, shootout, whatever you call it. Uh, so you're going to end up with shipping more tires than, than you probably want to do. So that's a bit confusing. And then my second gripe with it is the park Fermi rules, which is now basically the cars are frozen after Friday qualifying. So you can't rebound, you can't do anything if you had a bad FP1 or if you had a reliability issue. And sure, that's great if it's one of the big hitters, it's Jeopardy, right? That's what we wanted. There's some variance. But at the same time, it is a, a sport to me. It's engineering. So I think you need to let people have a second chance at getting their setup right, maybe extend uh, until after the, the sprint shootout on Saturday morning and then install park Fermi rules. So, you know, have, let people have a second chance at getting their car sorted out because there's not a lot of track time anymore now. Firstly, agree with the part Fermi point there, definitely. Um, full disclosure, I hate sprint races. I think they're a waste of time. But um, if, if, I, if I'm answering this seriously, I, I think... I think it was a failure this weekend, quite honestly. I think the shine was taken off the, the shootout in terms of having two qualifying sessions one day after the other. Um, and certainly in terms of the race, I, I, it wasn't a great race. I know it wasn't followed up by a great Grand Prix the following day, but the, the sprint itself wasn't a good one. And I think there was a reason that all of Saturday afternoon and all of Saturday evening, the only thing people were talking about was that George Russell and Max Verstappen bust up. And that's because nothing happened mm. on track all, all the race. So, um, yeah, I mean, full I, I don't like it at all. I, and the reason I just think it, it acts as, and I know it doesn't quite work this way now that it's separated out, but it is almost going back to the point about why the, the Grand Prix wasn't a good one. And it's because it's an additional stint added on without it benefit, without impacting any future stints, if that makes sense. It's one stint of one tyre. I know we had a couple on the on the softs, but outside of that, everyone was on the mediums. Everything's kind of stabilised and why should we expect anything to be overly entertaining because of that? Um, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of improving it again, I would, uh, I'd get rid of them completely, but um, I agree with the part Fermi point. Um, you know, the mandatory tire thing has to be sorted out because you can't have, you know, I think they were lucky. It was just Lando Norris. It could well have been Sonoda as well. It could have been even more drivers. If it had gone that way, maybe you might be looking at three or four drivers going into Q3 without an option to, to set a lap. So that absolutely needs to be resolved. What I would do just to address the point on, TV sort of viewership and numbers. Um, you know, I would just truncate the weekend so you can get more Grand Prix out of a season. So if, if you're looking at a 24, I know we've had 23 this year, but if we add the Chinese Grand Prix, a 24 race calendar, you're looking at 72 uh, on track days, right? That's the same as if you were doing a two day weekend, that's 36 Grand Prix. I appreciate it doesn't quite work exactly like that in terms of the logistics, but if you're truncating the, the day to have media on Friday plus practice Saturday morning, qualifying Saturday afternoon, race Sunday, doing away with sprints, then suddenly you're opening, I think, the possibility of more Grand Prix heading onto the calendar because you're it's less of an effort every single weekend. Again, appreciate in terms of logistics and actually shipping people around the world. It's not quite as simple as I make it seem, but I, I still think there's a wider point there that you can 
increase the calendar, increase viewership, whilst also doing away with a format that, quite frankly, I don't think works. I think when they eventually get rid of sprint races in the future, if they when if they do, when they do, um, I think they'll look back and that was a terrible idea, wasn't it? A bit like when they sat around and went, what can we do to spice things up? Well, we could bring back refueling. Okay. And then they did. And no one sits around now going, oh, Formula One would be better if only they refueled the cars halfway through. And I think that if, if the sprint races ever do go, I think that's probably what we'll say is actually we don't miss them. What? Oh, what year was it when they messed around with qualifying format at the last minute when was yeah it was, was australia 2015 wasn't it you had i think if i'm right it was sauber with far too many drivers and then a terrible terrible qualifying session i think and it's just someone sitting around going i've got an idea no no you haven't i mean there, no idea is a bad idea but that was a they bad pivoted one. from it quickly um, though they, they didn't stick yeah, around with it. It was quick, yeah. wasn't it? I think everyone realised this was yeah. a terrible idea. I have to well, say, that's the bar we're trying to clear. Then <laughs> spring format is great. Well, I have to say, Martin, a cynical <laughs> part of me says that we're much closer to 23, 24 sprint races a year than we are to dropping a concept altogether, I think, as it stands. Yeah, I think so. The minute they said, hey, we're going to race in Las Vegas and it's on a Saturday, I thought, yeah, you don't care about going racing at uh, two or three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon anymore. It's all about eyeballs on screen. Double points finales for everyone. Oh, God, (laughs) double points. I'd forgotten. Oh, no. Oh, bring back Sunday morning practice. Right, uh, that is our podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. We want to hear from you now. I'd love to hear from you either online, on socials. Uh, you can email me, podcast at autosport.com is our email address. And we do get emails to the podcast, which is brilliant. Thank you. Um, particularly about Kev's top tens series. People like to suggest new ones and feedback on that. That's podcast at autosport.com uh, and on all of our social links and stuff like that. Ben, so uh, late breaking F1 podcast uh if people haven't caught it before what kind of things do you get up to uh, so people can subscribe to your show and what can they expect on the next one uh well race previews race reviews so naturally the next one is going to be race preview of, of miami in seven days time as we record this um but even on non-race weekends we're discussing the latest news giving our opinions on whatever's going on in the world of f1 playing some silly games here and there um just to prove that sometimes we do know what we're talking about but in most instances <laughs> proving we don't um but just a lot of fun to be had a lot of lot of debate um but we do it in a in a very very laid back way hopefully not the last time you're on uh, always welcome back on the podcast uh, uh matt are you going to get on a plane very soon and enjoy the delights of of miami where tickets cost a million dollars and uh, no one's actually watching any motor racing that's right isn't it with my well they cost a million dollars last year but now they're giving Nine hundred thousand dollar discounts by the look, by the state of my inbox <laughs> of all the all the promos going around. Yeah. That I mean, that that would be an, it's not sold out. No, that would be a slightly interesting interesting narrative. I think this year is uh, what what is the appetite for Miami Grand Prix second time around after a bit of a damp squib event last year after a lot of upset celebrities with the catering and and now you've got Las Vegas as a new shiny thing. What so that will be quite interesting. But otherwise, uh, I've got a. I've got to be at Heathrow for some ungodly hour on on Wednesday, so a couple of hours to write. Uh, uh, write if if Stuart Codling, editor of GP Racing Magazine, is listening, I'll get your features done before I fly. I promise. <laughs> Surely that's what a flight is for, getting the laptop out and... Uh, yeah, but he's so... He's so um, on days ago. He's so uh, unfair that he set my deadlines for precisely just before I fly. So you can pick up GP Racing Magazine, our lovely, glossy, shiny 
gorgeous monthly magazine, as well as Autosport magazine on the shelves and coming through your letterbox every Thursday morning. Have a look at autosport.com for all the latest breaking news and any fallout from the weekend as we roll straight into a back-to-back and the Miami weekend. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Podcast Network.